Amen. Good morning, all. We are starting a new sermon series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So appropriately enough, we'll be reading from the Sermon on the Mount. So if you turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1, you have Bibles before, before you, you have photons behind me. If you have Aramaic scrolls, feel free. So uh, this is Matthew, Ephesians, interesting, Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray, if you would. Our Heavenly Father, we gather this fine Sunday morning to praise you. We're thankful for the opportunity we have to do this. And as we embark on this new sermon series, we ask for open ears and hearts ready to receive your word. Bless Pastor Mike this morning and bring the Holy Spirit to us through him for a deeper understanding of the Sermon on the Mount. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. How are you guys? We doing well? That's excellent. That's excellent. It is a good day when you can get up and enjoy the, the beautiful coolness of the weather. I just love it. I could put plenty of clothes on, right? And so I love, I love the fall weather. Uh, keeping warm. Blankets are out in the Larson house now. So uh, super excited about being here this morning. Uh, so welcome, as, as uh, John explained, we are in a new sermon series. Uh, uh, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into the Sermon on the Mount. It is the greatest sermon that has been ever taught. And uh, I can confidently say that because Jesus was the one who preached it, right? And so if Jesus did it, it's probably the greatest he, that, that it is. And so uh, the cool thing about Jesus is this. He had made a number of remarkable statements in his uh, uh, three years of ministry um, and in his whole life. But perhaps none remarkable than this when he said this. That heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away away. Think about that statement for a minute. That heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, they never will. Can you imagine if I said that to you right now? Like everything I'm going to say and everything that I have said in my whole life, it's going to last for eternity. It's going to last beyond my life. It's going to last even beyond the, the life of the earth, that my words will last. I, I mean, if you guys knew me, you'd probably think I was trying to like set up a joke. And if you didn't know me, you'd probably think I was a joke, right? By saying such a statement, by making such an audacious statement, but Jesus makes this statement. You see, no one in, in, in the history of the world with his head on straight talked like Jesus talked and claimed that his words would have eternal value and outlast everything that we have ever heard or ever even read. Now, I make a living speaking and writing. Uh, I published a book you guys know uh, a couple years ago, but I ha am self-aware enough to know that what I wrote in this book is not going to last my outlast my lifetime. I'm not like saying anything profound here. The only thing that is going to last in this book that I wrote is Jesus's words. That 100 years from now, nobody's going to care about Pastor Mike. Nobody's going to care about what I've said. Jesus, on the other hand, he makes this claim that his words will outlast. It isn't, it's not only true that my words won't last, but it's true about your words and, and everybody's words will not last, will not be able to hold up to that claim. Even the most historical significant speeches in American history, we've all probably forgot already, haven't we? Like think about Washington's farewell address, George Washington's farewell address. Can anybody recite it? What about FDR's war message? 
What about Lincoln's Gettysburg Address? It's probably one of the most famous of the three, right? But can you recite Lincoln's Gettysburg Address? Do you remember it? Some of you might remember it. Anybody want to take a shot at it? You know the, you know the first part, four score and seven years ago. What comes next? Now I had to Google it, so I'll just do this, right? Four score and seven year, years ago, our father brought forth upon this continent a new nation. And then what's next? You see these, th- oh, some of you got it. Okay, you, <laughs> you're history nerds, right? But see, most of, for most of us, it's pretty forgettable, isn't it? This is why we memorialize things. This is why we carve things in stone so that we can remember them because of the significance that it has in our history. But, but, but if you think about it, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, who knows? No one's going to remember Lincoln's address. It's all forgettable. Important words might be written down and even chiseled in stone, but the most important monuments will be forgotten of who, when, and where it was all said. This is the reason why we make monuments. But it's not so with Jesus' words, and I just think that that's ex- extremely remarkable. It doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church or, 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 or your lack of church experience or how much uh, you've studied your Bible or how little you've studied your Bible. It's likely that you've heard Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. Let's, let's test my theory, and I'll, I'm going to start the sentence and see if you guys can give me the next word. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and... Judge not, lest you be... So whatever you wish uh, that others do to you, also do to them. And then, of course, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. These words are not chiseled in stone, but they are words that Jesus spoke. And and in every continent, in every city, in every major city that is preaching Jesus right now, these words are being applied even 2,000 years ago. And why is that? Because Jesus' words are true and they are eternal. And and, and what he says, when he says it, they won't pass away, it is true and it's going to happen. This is why it's so important to take Jesus at every word that he said, that we need to be taking him at his word. That we need to be listening to what he says and applying it to our heart. The Sermon on the Mount are some of Jesus' most famous words. And and we need to apply them into our lives. We need to embrace them. We need to hold fast to everything that he said. Because every one of his words are going to last beyond our lifetime. They are going to last for eternity. So what is the Sermon on the Mount about? Uh, The short answer is that it's about Jesus. It's all about his, his work and what he's doing. The long answer is this. It's about his authority. The longer answer is this. It's about, his, that it's about Jesus' truthful and powerful authority and why we should submit to it. In, in, in Mark chapter 1, if you're following along in your bulletin, we've provided two things for you to start this sermon series. One is called the Learning Circle. And so we want you guys to go deeper in your walk with Jesus. We want you to, to take your walk with Jesus in a, in a deeper direction, that you, you're becoming more of a disciple of Christ, that you're, be, you're maturing in your faith. And you have also have your bulletin insert to take with you in community. Now, I understand that uh, we're not going to be holding a community group today because uh, my stepmom is, uh, or, or Chris and Nicole's community group is, Chris and Nicole is visiting their daughter in Arizona, and I was, Sheila and I were going to host the community group, but my stepmom is going to have surgery tomorrow. Uh, she's having a double mastectomy surgery. She, her cancer has come back into her breast, and, she, and it has come back with a vengeance. So what I will ask you is to please pray for Peggy Larson and my dad, Jim. I'll be flying out early in the morning to go be and sit with my dad all week. Uh, the surgery is going to be a seven-hour surgery tomorrow, and the recovery is going to be very long. So please keep them in your prayers. But if you're in that community group, you don't, have, you don't need the community group to engage in what we are going to teach you today. We really want you to have this, these, this tool that we're going to give you, and I want to explain a little bit of it today. In, uh, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 1. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I like the message Bible that translates it this way. It says, time's up. 
God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. Change your life and believe his words. Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount with these words. And we're going to kind of reverse engineer our way back as we begin to preach this. He says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and the beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall. These two verses are going to guide us and lead us through the learning circle. And so if you have that out and you're looking at it right now, uh, it's really based on this, is that our lives are made up of many moments, some big, some small, some good and some bad. These can become what the Bible calls for us Kairos moments. And the definition of a Kairos moment, you got that up, is this, that a Kairos moment is a significant event, positive or negative, never neutral, that leaves an impact on you signaling an opportunity to grow spiritually and emotionally. That's in your bulletin so that you have that and you understand what we're getting at. See, these events can become opportunities for significant growth for us and the development in our walk with Jesus. And this is, the I, that this is the idea that we're not in here just to exchange information, that we believe that Jesus's words are eternal and they're life-changing. And so what we believe in is that this, Jesus' words are meant to transform us, that we are, we are called to, to take that moment, that Kairos moment, and take an opportunity wherever you are at in your life and make it a Kairos moment. What is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? This is the learning circle. So life is just heading along this path and this is where you're at. Today you've head along the path and now we're in a Kairos moment, if you will. Our lives are intersecting with God right now. We are, we are, we are in and, and, and there, our lives are right here intersecting with God. We can leave here today and just keep on going down the same path and never let what we learn today transform us. Or we could enter into this circle of discipleship that leads us to become more like Jesus the question is whether you will recognize these events in your life as opportunities for growth or just pass them by. And so we want you guys to have a deeper relationship with Jesus and his word. And we want them to lead you to a transformation where you can become a, a more mature disciple in Jesus. When these events happen, we have an opportunity to listen for God's leading and respond in the way we believe. <clears throat> so the key thing is this, is to look for Kairos moments and then prayerfully enter into the circle of learning Three steps of repentance, that's just basically changing your mind, believing in the gospel, right? And three steps of faith, doing something about it. So what did God say and what am I going to do, right? And this is the path of discipleship. And we want to press in deep as we uh, talk about this, as we build this path of discipleship, we're building ourselves on the rock, the solid foundation. So when the, so when the rain falls and the floods come and the winds blow and they beat on you, they won't, you won't fall. That when life just hits, right? Anybody going through it right now? My, like my stepmom is going through it right now. Her life needs to be foundationally on Christ because you know what? It's, there's not a guarantee, is there? I believe that God can heal her. I do. I believe. But ultimately, what if God heals her? That's awesome, right? Praise the Lord. But what is that? She's eventually going to die one day, right? The, her hope is in Christ and his everlasting word. We're not going to be foolish and think that, that, that there is, right? We need, she needs, her only hope right now is in Christ. Because we don't know the outcome of all this, but we are hoping that, uh, that she will have a very long life here. But, but on the foundation of her faith, we pray that, and I know, that it is in Jesus. And that her hope is ultimately in Christ. And she, though she will die, the Bible says this, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and though you die, you shall live. Those who believe in me, you shall live again, because I am the resurrection and the life. Isn't that good news? And because these are everlasting words, we have hope in the midst of when the storms come and the, and the winds blow and they beat us down. We will not fall when our foundation is Jesus. All right. So let's transition. Now, that's a big intro, isn't it? We're going to get to the sermon now. 
Hopefully you, you'll embrace this. Uh, what I will do is I'll, I'll, I will post this stuff on all of our social media so that we can get an idea of how to use the learning circle. If you didn't get a bulletin with the learning circle in it, there's plenty in the back. We'd encourage you to get it. All right. So if I were to sneeze, what would be the common response from you? Bless you. Why is that? Why is that? Like, like Christians and non-Christians alike commonly give God's blessing to someone who sneezes. Um, I'm all into watching uh, uh, the news and the politics, and, and, and politicians will often close their important political speeches uh, with the benediction, God bless you, and God bless the United States of America, right? We hear that a lot. But what does it mean to really be blessed? What does it mean to really be blessed by God? Does it mean good health? Uh, I, I hope that sneeze doesn't lead to something else, so God bless you, right? Or does it mean to wealth and prosperity in our country? Like, like, okay, so this is our intention. We want to see wealth and prosperity in our country, so may God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. Now, those things aren't too bad. Those things aren't bad in and of themselves. We read in the wisdom scriptures that, that we should be praying for these things. We should expect these things that God wants to bless. They are part of God's blessing for us. As a matter of fact, Jesus, what Jesus was doing right before, <clears throat> excuse me, he preached his sermon on the mount. He was actually doing this. When Matthew records it that Jesus was doing this. He says, Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and he is healing every disease and, and every affliction among the people. And so this, this seems like Jesus was, this, he was part of doing this. He was healing people's illnesses. Jesus is teaching about his kingdom of God and he was showing people through healing what his kingdom was partly about, what he was bringing about. He was healing people as proof, as kind of validation, if you will, that his message that the kingdom of God is hand is true. And he would use miraculous healing to validate those things. Imagine if you were there for a moment. Imagine if you were in the scene, that you were there when Jesus was preaching the kingdom of the gospel, the good news that, that God is coming to reconcile sinners back to himself and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then you witnessed people being healed, like the blind seeing, amazing. The lame walking, the deaf talking, the mute, the mute talking, the deaf hearing. Can you imagine? Maybe it was you. Maybe you were standing there and there was Jesus and you're looking at him and, you, and you're afflicted. You've got diseases and you, you're coming to him in your need and then he heals you. What would you do next? What would you do next? I mean, I'd be so close to this man. Who is this man? What is he going to say? And what is he going to do next? Because I'm experiencing this. I want to now know what's next. I want to know what's going on next. You might do what the people did in his time. The people crowded around Jesus wondering the same thing. What is this man going to do next? What is he going to say next? But what he does say next seems to contradict everything he just demonstrated. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the persecuted. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just came and you, you, you've, you've demonstrated like this wholeness and this healing and, and, you're, and you've made people whole again. And now you're saying blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Wait a minute. This seems to contradict what you've just done. Isn't, isn't those who are blessed like the courageous, the wise, the temperate, the healed? Aren't the, those who are blessed are like the funny, the intelligent, the, the attractive, the sensitive, and the fit? Aren't those who, who what, Mark, what about the wealthy? The wealthy should be blessed. That's not what he says here. Encounter Church, welcome to the wonderful, strange world of the wisdom of Jesus. And he says, this is what is blessed. Welcome to like what we call in the church, narrow gate theology. Jesus says, many will enter into the wide gate that leads to destruction, but very few will lead into the narrow gate that leads to life and to life eternal. Boy, he is telling us we need to pay attention here. Welcome to the teaching that separates the crowd who wants the, the health and the wealth in the here and now and welcome to the disciples who were willing to deny themselves, pick up their crosses and follow Jesus. Welcome not to the few, the proud and the Marines, God bless you Marines, but welcome to the few, the humble and the follower of Christ.
Welcome to what it means to truly be blessed by God. And so if you're taking notes and following along with your bulletin, we'll also have the, the scriptures up on the screens here. Let's start in Matthew chapter five, verse one. It says, seeing the crowds, he went on up the mountain and went and sat down. His disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. So the first thing that we see Jesus teach here is that you know that you have God's blessing upon you if you are poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means like when you acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy, when you, are, when you know that you don't have anything to bring to Jesus for him to accept you into his kingdom. You know, it's not your family ties. It's like you, you definitely know you're poor in spirit when you know there's nothing, not your family ties, not the respect in the community, not your occupation, not your so-called good works or, or your personal holiness. Nothing that you can bring is valuable enough for you to make yourself right with God and gain access into his kingdom. You don't bring nothing to the table for him to accept you into your kingdom. I'm good enough. Well, Jesus, what are you gonna say? Well, I've done like this many good and this many bad, so you can accept me. No, that's not the case. That's not how you get into Jesus's kingdom. And this leads me to my first point, uh, if you're following along in your sermon notes today. You are blessed, according to Christ, when you see yourself as a beggar coming to the door of the kingdom without anything to give to get you in. And, you, and so you appeal to the king to give you the grace and mercy necessary to get you in. So the first word to fill in the blank is beggar. The next two is grace and mercy. You are blessed when you see yourself as a beggar coming to the door of the kingdom without anything to get you in. And so you appeal to the king to give you the grace and mercy necessary to get you in. There's nothing that we bring that will gain us access into the kingdom. We need to be humble and understand our need. We are the ones in need. We are beggars begging on the, banging on the door going, God, I need your grace and mercy. That's the key. I need your forgiveness. I need your acceptance. I need it. Thankfully, we have this. Because here's what Jesus promises. Blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know their need. Who know that they're spiritually bankrupt. Who know that they don't bring anything that can, that can reconcile them back to God. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's ha- it, you will be happy. You will have a happy life when you know your spiritual need. And you know that the result of your spiritual need will lead you to, to begging Christ for his grace and mercy. And Jesus says, you guys, the ones that know your spiritual need, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Yours is it. You know that you're spiritually bankrupt. You know you can't do anything to earn God's favor. You know that, he, that his salvation, your salvation, is a complete and utter gift from God, lest anyone should boast. And you, you who believe that wholeheartedly, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Tied to this being poor in spirit is what Jesus says next in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now here, Jesus doesn't mean merely mourning over the losses in our lives, but that's part of it. Jesus is going to redeem the whole world one day. Uh, I believe that. But he's primarily talking about the effect that sin has had upon us and all of humanity that makes us spiritually poor. I mean, this ties itself right into the next, like the first beatitude ties itself right into this, this verse four. He, he's telling us this. Is it, it, this leads me to your next point today. You are blessed, you are happy when you mourn over your own sin, the sins of others, and the sin that pervades our world. You see, the good news about God is that, that he too mourns over our sin and he mourns over the injustices in our world. His response was this, Jesus' response was this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Isn't that comforting? <laughs> it would go on to say that, that, the, that Jesus didn't come to condemn us because we were condemned already. But rather he has come to save us. And, and it's, it's a demonstration of God's love for us. And then this is what he has come and this is why it's so comforting. We are blessed when we mourn over our sin and at the same time we can be comforted because we know that sin does not win the day. 
That Jesus wins the day. That Jesus has conquered Satan's sin and death by his life, death, and resurrection. That Jesus lives and he has answered this and he is bringing all of us comfort one day. How many of you are affected by, by the sins of the world, by our own sins, and even the sins of others? Yeah, every one of us. How much do we need Christ to be our foundation here knowing that he will comfort us all? Every one of us right now and this brings us comfort we can be happy even in the midst of the storms that we're going through when the wind blows and the, and the and the rain falls right and beats down on our lives we can be blessed knowing that jesus is our comfort through it all we're going deep today right this isn't surface christianity we need some stuff that we can really stand on so when life storms come we're not going to fall Jesus teaches us that we are blessed if we are poor in spirit and when we mourn over sin. And, the, and, and verse five is this. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is this character trait that, that naturally flows from the first two. Um, when, you, when, you are, uh, when you are spiritually poor, like when you know that you're poor in spirit and, and that you mourn over, this, over your own sin and the sins of the world, you don't walk around like with this sense of entitlement. Like, look at Jesus saved me, so I'm all that in a bag of chips. No, no, you're not. Like those two things, those, those poor in spirit and those mourning over sins should leave you a little bit more humble than that, right? And so that leads me to my next point. The meek are blessed when their spiritual poverty and their grief over sin causes them to be gentle. To be gentle. When we see ourselves as, as, as spiritual beggars, like asking for God's grace and mercy, how, are we demanding? Are we looking at other sinners saying, get your stuff together? No, we're being gentle and humble because we're, we're living out of this spiritual poverty and this grief over our own sin. And so we are gentle, humble, unassuming, and willing to serve others before ourselves or themselves. You've heard it said before in this church, we say this a lot. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is simply thinking less of yourself less and others first. It is the meek that are blessed because they will inherit the earth. Isn't that good news? That as we are, are, are living out of our own brokenness, are we living out of our own spiritual poverty and living out of our grief for sin and we are being meek, God says your reward is the earth. I'm gonna give you this place. Your inheritance is this. You, you are a son and a child of God. Uh, uh, and this is good news because God is not like ditching his plan. Like his plan for humans is earth. He is going to come and return one day and establish his kingdom. And he will judge the living and the dead. He will do away with all of sin, all of evil and our enemy. And we will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. That's good news. God's church. No one else. God's church will inherit the earth. And Jesus gives us this promise, this is yours. This is yours. Now live out of your spiritual poverty, grieve over sin, and be meek. Don't be demanding, be humble. Be humble, be lowly, serve others in this. Understand their spiritual sickness, understand their spiritual poverty. How do you judge the people? I know I struggle with this too, so I'm not alone. I look at some people and I just struggle. I'm like, get your stuff together. I, that's all I wanna say. Would you just quit being dumb? Would you just quit? Now, is that really mourning over sin? No. Is that really humble at all? Absolutely not. That's just me being frustrated. But I got to know that there's grace for that sin that I just committed to. And I need, and that is an opportunity. That's a Kairos moment that God is, is asking me to believe in this verse. That blessed are the meek, for you'll inherit the earth. Pastor Mike, you need to embrace your spiritual poverty. Pastor Mike, you need to mourn over the sin that is controlling this chaos right now. And you need to come in low and serve them and love them. Boy, that is countercultural, isn't it? But that is the gospel. That is where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. This is the marching orders for the church. Repent of being frustrated, Pastor Mike. That's my Kairos moment. I'm gonna to listen to what God is saying to me and it should respond in what I'm gonna do. I'm going to the, yes, Lord, help me. Give me your spirit. Give me the strength to, to have patience, which is the fruit of the spirit for this person. And then let me love them, which is another fruit of the spirit. 
Let me share the peace with them, which is another fruit of the Spirit. Let me be at peace knowing, God, you were in control of this whole thing, Kairos moments that transform us and we become a disciple of Christ. We don't go down that road no more. We go where God wants to take us. Don't we want to go, we'll be a people of God where God takes us somewhere, miraculous? This is what we want to do. We want to go that place where God wants to take us. We don't want to continue down the same road being frustrated with people who, who irritate us. God, give us a new spirit. Give us new eyes to see. Give us that own peace in our own heart. It starts with you. He says, blessed are those who mourn over their spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who mourn over their own sin. Blessed are those who mourn over the sins of the world. And blessed are those who are meek. For this is the kingdom I'm building and you're going to inherit it. You're going to inherit it. This is the place, the land that is coming. And yet we live like people of God or people of the world. Okay, find yourself. No, seriously, there I am. Okay, the hunger and thirst theology is all over the Bible. Listen to what the psalmist says. Got that up there? It says, they they hunger and thirst and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Yeah, I am way off, sorry. I'm gonna back up. Lord Jesus, take the wheel, right? I think he did and he steered it that way. And now we're coming back. So here's my third point. That's it. The meek are blessed. You got the third point up there? There it is. Back on track. The meek are blessed when their spiritual poverty and their grief over sin causes them to be gentle, humble, unassuming, and willing to serve others. The meek are blessed because they will inherit the earth. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Would your life be characterized as satisfied? Like right now in this moment... Let's just, let's just survey the last week. Would your life and your actions be characterized as one that is satisfied? Or is it hungering and thirsting for something and driving you for some other reason? What is driving you? What are you hungering and thirsting for? God said, blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When Jesus blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's declaring that the spiritual fruit that is produced from the soil of the first three beatitudes that we've been belaboring right now is one that would hunger and thirst for this. This is is what's behind a person who wants to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is, if we see our own sinful poverty and we mourn over sin and we live meekly, that we will hunger and thirst for righteousness. That we will, this will be the the natural response. This will grow, this will be the fruit that grows out of the soil of the first two beatitudes. We will seek it, we will yearn for it, and we'll ask God to help us attain it. The language of hunger and thirst is all over the Bible, and here's, we'll get back into it. The psalmist said this. They were hungry and thirsty, and they lived their lives ebbed and their lives ebbed away and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Isaiah said this, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what is not what, what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And finally, Jesus says this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst again. If Jesus' words are true and eternal, which they are, then then why would we go to something else in this world to bring us uh, satisfaction and to quench our thirsts? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, this 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 is who Isaiah was talking about. 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. So what, this, this leads me to my next point. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to long for God's rule and reign in my life the same way I long for food and water to sustain us. God would encourage us to develop a hunger and righteousness in four different places, four different areas in our lives. And the first one is this, and this, this should be in your bulletin as well. We're to first hunger for uh, what theologians call alien righteousness. Now let me unpack that a little bit. Alien means foreign from us. Something that we, we can't drum up on ourselves. We talked about that a lot when we're talking about spiritual poverty, right? And so this righteousness is the righteousness that Christ has bestowed, bestowed upon us when we put our faith in him for salvation. And the Bible would call this justification. And this is a gift from God, lest any man should boast. This is an alien righteousness, something that is far outside of your ability and capability to obtain. This is where you get saved. This is the grace you receive from Jesus. Then we're to hunger for this, personal righteousness. This is where you start coming in and you start cooperating with God. This hunger leads us to uproot our sin and become more like Christ. And the Bible calls this sanctification. This is the space that we should be in until Christ, until we go home to be with the Lord or Christ returns. This is the space, personal righteousness. We should be growing in our faith and maturing to be more like Christ. This is the reason why I included the learning circle so that you can grow in your personal righteousness. The third thing we should hunger for is social righteousness. This hunger engages in social action to promote the gospel of Jesus and to do good works in our world. We cannot, we are not supposed to be ingrown Christians. Jesus came back in, 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 with, with John and wrote the book of Revelation and, and Jesus spoke to John and said, write this down. He spoke to the church of Ephesus who was doing church really well. They were maturing in their faith. They were growing in their knowledge of the gospel. They were growing in their knowledge of the Bible. And Jesus said, this one thing I have against you, that you have forgotten your first love. You've forgotten the mission. You've forgotten the mercy ministries. You've forgotten to tell people about Jesus. You've forgotten to bring heaven on earth this side of, he this side of heaven. You've forgotten that. You do church really well. But if you don't do mercy, if you don't go out, if you don't, do a, if you don't hunger and thirst for a social righteousness, if you don't, if you, if you're, you'll know your heart really mourns over sin. If you, if you see the injustice in our world and you want to do something about it and you actually do something about it. It's not just enough to, 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 to mourn over the, the, the lay of the land and the things that are happening in our culture. We have to do something about it. The church leads that front or is supposed to. It's been doing a kind of a poor job at it. This is why we have a lot of parachurch ministries. It's because the, the, somebody has the conviction to do something about it when the, because the church isn't. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to hunger and thirst for social righteousness. The fourth thing that we should hunger for is this, a future righteousness. This is a hunger that, for the day that the Lord will return and set the cosmos right. The, nothing is going to be as it should be. Perfect shalom is not going to come until Christ returns. But, but that is our hope. That is our hope when it doesn't get, when those things don't get corrected on this side of heaven, our hope is that it will one day. And so we have reason to, to love and serve and honor God. That it will, that God will redeem the world. And so we have this eternal hope. Meanwhile, we work on our own personal righteousness, which will be a witness to the world because we'll look a whole lot different than everybody else around us. We'll be loving people in the name of Jesus and we work on our social righteousness, trying to, trying to love and serve and correct some of the injustices in the world. This is our call. Amen? We're going deep. This is a deep end of swimming. If you need a snorkel, they're in the back. The Bible says that Jesus will return one day and our great enemy will be casted down and his righteousness will cover the earth. And so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You will be satisfied when you hunger and thirst for an alien righteousness. When you hunger and thirst for Jesus, his grace on the cross. You will hunger and thirst. Uh, you will be satisfied when you hunger and thirst for a personal uh, uh, righteousness. When you begin to grow and to be more like Christ. You, you will be satisfied when you are more like Christ. Just like Pastor Dave said. You will be satisfied. I don't know. You'll be satisfied when you engage in social righteousness. I don't know anybody who has ever went out there and helped the poor and, and felt depressed. <laughs> Anybody? 
Anybody give up their time to, at a soup kitchen and went, man, that was a complete stellar waste of time? No. Anybody ever go visit people in the prisons and, and share the gospel with them and say, man, that, that was just awful? No. It's really, really good when you could actually leave the prison. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to jail. And they're like, well, what happened? You know, some of my family be like, what happened? Because <laughs> they know my past. But I'm like, no, I get to go to jail, share Jesus and leave. It's awesome. It's like, it's the best of both worlds. <laughs> and you will be satisfied when your ultimate hope is in the future righteousness that Christ has promised us when he returns. Jesus once told a parable, a story that I think perfectly describes the first four Beatitudes. It says this. Two men went up to the temple to pray, uh, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Listen to this. It's really curious. I love the way Jesus tells stories. He says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank God that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I have fasted. Twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look to heaven, and, but beat his chest and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And listen to what Jesus said in response to this. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is good news. What is the moral of this, of this parable story? Why did Jesus tell it? Luke tells us this. This is why he tell it. Because that Pharisee, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous enough. That they had enough to come to the kingdom. That they had game to, to get right with God. And, and Jesus told that parable for that reason. The point of the parable is the same as all of the first Beatitudes. No one gets into the kingdom of heaven unless one recognizes their need for God. And, when, and when, our, when our foundation begins there, that, that is the frame that before we start pouring down the foundation that we stand upon, that our need is Jesus. And when we embrace that, that no one gets into the kingdom until they recognize their need for God, then we'll be able to embrace the next four Beatitudes. The next four Beatitudes will begin. We'll, when we understand that and embrace that deep in our hearts, they'll, they'll start to be manifested in our lives. When Jesus says this, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure at heart. They're, they've got an undivided heart. They know, they know their place in God's kingdom. They know they're not going to compromise the gospel. They're not going to compromise their lives. They're going to be pure at heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute you for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One scholar says that the first four beatitudes are the beatitudes of need, like we are in need, we need God, and the last four attitudes are the beatitudes of action. That blessed are the merciful, that is, that is those who forgive others, their trespasses, and that, that, and from an understanding that we've been forgiven of so much too. Blessed are the pure at heart, that is, those who were, aren't motivated by self-love or man's approval, but those who serve God and others with an undivided heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, that is, those who bring reconciliation between uh, a person and another person. Who, who, who can you be making peace with this week in your life? Based on your spiritual poverty, your grief over sin, your meekness that God wants to manifest in you, who can you make peace over in your life right now? Y'all thinking about someone right now. You don't have to leave. It's cool. Just kidding. Don't be convicted. Who is it? But blessed are those who are peacemakers. Between, between that person and that one, between a nation and another, and most importantly, between God and man through the gospel of peace, Jesus Christ. And finally, blessed are those who persecute you. That is, those who have reviled you and rejected you for preaching true peace and living in such a way of peace. Uh, the way of the cross. It's a sacrificial life. Because you're going to go out there and you're going to do this, you're going to believe in this, and then you're going to get rejected. You will. You're going to get made fun of for your life. You're going to get persecuted from one degree or another, especially if you are unwavering and pure at heart and undivided in your convictions. And you're not going to change. You are going to get persecuted. But it is the way of Jesus. It is the way of the cross. It's a sacrificial life that stands against the norms in our culture. It's the blessed life. 
It's the blessed life of selflessness. This leads me to my final point for the day. Somebody say amen. A little fired up teaching the Bible, right? I love the Bible. I love what I do. God has designed us to find fulfillment and blessing when and only when we stop living for self. Have you ever like uh, stopped on the side of the road to help someone out and felt depressed? <laughs> no, you feel good. I can remember when we, were, uh, we did a Christmas in the park ministry at Oasis. I've told the story before. It'll be brief. But, but we had, we, we planned this every year that we'd barbecue and bring clothes and, 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 and needs and, and, uh, hygiene bags for, for the homeless people in Victorville. And they all lived among this riverbed. It was a sand riverbed with, with all kinds of trees and all kinds of stuff like that. And, and that particular year, uh, a fire broke out in the riverbed and, and burned everybody's stuff. Everybody that was living in the encampments out there, it, it wiped the whole, whole river out. We got there with our barbecues and we got there with our clothes and we got there with stuff and the story started coming in. I have nothing. We have nothing. It all got burnt away last night. We, we see this, the, the smoke still rising. It was interesting to watch people immobilize. It was interesting. It was just so cool to watch people immobilize and, they, and everybody started leaving. I'm like, where's everybody going? Well, there was a fire in the river. They're all going to go get supplies for these people. People were emptying out their garages with tens of thousands of dollars worth of of tents and and stoves and and this and that. And and they were bringing it back to here and they were giving it and they were joyful about it. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, why are you so happy to give away all your stuff? Because it's a joy to give, isn't it? Nobody's depressed by giving things to people in need. It's because God has designed us to find fulfillment and blessing when and only when we stop living for ourselves. You see, the fruit of the first four Beatitudes stops us from hungering and thirsting for ourselves, for wealth, position, status, fame, or whatever else the world thinks matters most to us and starts thinking about others. It's a Christ-like attribute. Let me end by saying this, that no Christian embodies the Beatitudes perfectly that only Jesus does that. And that's good news for us, that Jesus was poor in spirit, not the same way we were due to his own sin, but due to our sin. He was uh, in need of the Father. He was dependent upon the Father and the Holy Spirit for everything. Jesus mourned. Again, he did not mourn over his own sin because he had none, but over the sin and the sins of the world. Jesus was the almighty creator of heaven and earth. He could have perfectly exerted his will, but he was perfectly meek instead by by he being the one who offers us a yoke that is easy and light. Jesus perfectly hungered and thirst for God's righteous rule to come, which is why on one hand, he overturned the tables in the temple. If you know the story, the people in the church were making the, or the people in the temple were making the church a marketplace and Jesus turns the tables and drives them out with a whip. Saying, saying, my house should be a house of prayer, not a, not a den of robbers. So on the other hand, he turns over the tables. And, and on the other hand of that, he welcomes and receives sinners to a table of fellowship. And then Jesus perfectly shows shown mercy by healing and feeding the multitudes and forgiving people of their sins. Jesus was perfectly pure at heart. He was undivided in his commitment and his, and, and his commitment to God and his will. Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker, bringing us peace through the cross between God and man, which enables us to be, bring peace to one another. And finally, who better embodied the last beatitude? From the moment of his first breath to his last, Jesus Christ, the only figure in human history, was persecuted for, our, for righteousness' sake. And Jesus embodied the selfless blessedness that he's talking about right here. In Philippians, we read this, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God to be a thing, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, this is good news, family, because, and I want you to hear this loud and clear, because we don't serve a God who wasn't willing to go down the same road he's calling us to go down. We serve a God who, who actually lived among and walked among us and he, and he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. 
And he was willing to do this. He, he first traveled this road. Now he calls us to travel the same road. That we serve a Lord who selflessly entered into the, this broken world and to give us an opportunity to enter into the same pattern of living as he did. And in this pattern, he says, it is a blessing to do it. And you will be happy. You will find your most meaning when you do it. And don't settle for anything less. Jesus said this, and I'll close. Even then who hears my, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Let's do that, amen? Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your life, for your words, for your words are eternal and they will, they're everlasting. I pray for each and every heart in this place, God, that we will uh, allow these, our moments, these moments in our life that you have given us as a gift to be Kairos moments. That we will allow our lives to intersect with you and your word, Jesus, and we will, we will, we will hear what you say and do what you say. We will repent and believe the gospel. Father, I pray for just a blessing upon our church and our time together today that, that we would learn really truly deep in our hearts what it means to be blessed. God, as we worship you today, may we come to the communion table with a sense of humility, knowing our need, knowing that we needed your body and your blood to enter into the kingdom, knowing that we still need you now because we're st our bodies are still and our lives are still ravaged with sin. And so we need your gospel now. And may we take communion today knowing there is a sure hope and a sure future. May we come back to our seats praising the God who, who has secured our lives and secured our future in heaven. And who has directed us and to tell us what is a blessing and what is not. Jesus rule and reign in our life.